or fractional executive level, you have to think five steps ahead, 10 steps ahead, whatever it is, right? You have to think strategic in order to really support the founder or business owner that you're working with, which is ultimately what we're trying to do is see an entrepreneur, help them grow while making as many mistakes as like as I had to make because I didn't have that fractional person <laughs> when I was developing companies that some worked, some didn't, right? Welcome to the Fractional Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Kauf. The Fractional Executive Podcast is for established founders and family enterprise owners whose businesses are in the $500,000 to $10 million revenue range and are currently stuck on a plateau of no growth. Our guest today is Dylan Jones. Dylan currently works as a fractional CRO and strategist for his company, Profit Launchpad. He has founded several companies, including a team of operational growth and finance experts, as well as a clean tech startup and a sustainable proteins company. Prior, he spent several years in the mineral exploration industry. He is also the current entrepreneur in residence at Foresight, Canada's clean tech accelerator. Please welcome Dylan to the podcast. Now, in order to help you grow your business, and get it off that terrible no growth plateau that you're currently on, we need to get more great guests like Dylan on the podcast. And to do that, please help us grow the show by sharing the podcast, like and subscribe, follow the podcast, and leave us a five-star review. This again helps us grow the podcast, get great guests on here like Dylan, and that will then help you grow your business. And we also want this to be interactive. So please leave comments and feedback for Dylan and I for this episode and reach out to us, contact the show. Dylan, thanks again for joining us. Let's jump right in if that's okay. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ryan. I'm really uh, excited to jump in. So Dylan, you have this really unique work background with several roles in the same firm and essentially in the same industry for a while. How did that experience prepare you to found several companies and then serve as an entrepreneur residence now helping other founders? Yeah, it's a, that's going way back. That's the deep cuts to the start of the career. So uh, when I when I graduated university, I had the privilege of graduating post Great Recession like right away. Um, and anyone who graduated in that like 2009 to 2011 chunk will remember it maybe not so fondly uh that it was pretty hard to find anything meaningful for work and so i started with a, a firm um that did mineral exploration in canada um and so basically just started picking up dirt for them being a soil sampler and just saw that you know like any any situation there's a a real ability to grow fast if you're ambitious and worked hard so my first season, picking up dirt. Then I went into uh, crew chiefs, so running multiple crews, and then cab management, um, running you know uh, the operational side of a drill site. So on a typical mining or mineral exploration site, there's a the top top dog is the project geologist, and then the camp manager. Second runs operations. We had a camp. That first camp was probably about seventy people running a twelve to fifteen million dollar drill program. Um, and from there, I spent a couple of seasons in the 
in the uh, Yukon, which is kind of Canada's Alaska, if people aren't familiar with it, uh, and realized pretty quickly that, you know, summer is bugs, uh, winter is very <laughs> cold, and winter starts in about mid-September. I actually yeah. remember being in a, a tent, well, a big wall tent in mid-September and having a wet shoelace overnight for straight, so sticking out from the boot, it wasn't dra draping down. I remember <laughs> looking at that going, I need to learn more about business <laughs> so I can fly into these camps and have no. a look at the project and stay on the project finance side. So I, I, I went and did that. Um, I do have an MBA. Uh, specifically, I wanted to learn more about business because I really like the operational side. That wasn't something that I had any experience or, or exposure to through university. And then from there, uh, I started as an analyst, interior business consultant, project finance, all within the same firm. Uh, and, and it really spoke to me. We, we we actually spun my first company out from that larger firm. Uh, we were looking at, uh, so this would have been like 2014, 15. So we were looking at alternative ways to create wealth within the mineral exploration industry. So we're doing some technology testing and things like that. And we had a company that is now Terra CEO2 Technologies uh, that I stepped down from the CEO role a few years later, bring on a, a specialist to take it, take it out, or take it far into commercialization, and it's done really, really well, which has been great for, um, you know, me personally, but it's also been great just to see the team go from like four people to uh, I think they're 20, 25 now, and going having commercial plants built. But anyways, to answer your question, um, that that experience has really just told me that I'm always looking forward, um, and. My my mentor, the owner of that company, was very supportive of me saying, like, listen, I don't think you have a a great career in corporate because you're constantly trying to like build the next thing, learn the next thing. He's like, I think you should look at starting your own company, becoming an entrepreneur and developing new ideas. Uh so he was very supportive and actually supported that first technology company to spin out and put me in the CEO role. So that was where I got my my first taste of um of entrepreneurism there. Oh, that's great. First, I'm glad I asked that question because that really laid the foundation for uh, for you founding companies. But I think also in there, you're talking about leading a camp, 70 people. That's got to be valuable as well as a founder. Yeah, so I did that. And I think I was like, uh, I'm 23, 24. So pretty young. Um, and, you know, our project geologists are the same age. It's got two 23-year-olds at $15 million dollars. Two helicopters, five diamond drill platforms, which are probably at least a million and a half each. Um, and you know, the lives of 70 people six hours away from what you could call a hospital, but maybe it would be more <laughs> of a, a you know, an ACO trailer with a with a first aid attendant in it. And uh that really solidified for me systems, processes. You know, and even documentation, I wouldn't call myself a, a document lover, but having really good systems and processes in that type of situation where you have a lot of machines, a lot of people flying all over the place, you know, you're building roads literally day by day and there's helicopters that you have to schedule in and out. And in some case, planes as well. Um, a lot of negative things can happen really quickly if you're not thinking in what are the processes that that need to go in place and need to be done day by day. And so I think that definitely set 
the foundation for how I think about operations in general, but business for sure, from a strategic standpoint. You know, Dylan, your work today as a fractional CRO who understands strategy, I mean, that seems to be pretty unique, you know, as well. Can you tell me, you know, tell me what fractional means to you and then what a CRO does to help companies grow? Yeah, I love the. That's a great question. What does fractional mean? Uh, it means so many things to so many people. Uh, I, you know, I think to a lot of people, it just means consultant. To me, it means part time. That's the simplest way I can say. So when someone says, are, "Are you a consultant?" I say, "No, I'm a fractional, you know, CRO or COO." And what does that mean? It is I'm a part time CRO, and I know I have enough experience that I can work with companies right in the range we're talking about here. I typically work. A little bit bigger, one million to f- and then book five. That's kind of my sweet spot right now. On all I've worked all well up to fifty million dollars. Is that we we just know a fractional person has the skill set and experience to know what needs to happen without going through a training process, and so we can demand a higher rate, but you only need us for part of the time. Rather than the flip side is hire someone, train them in, pay them a little or you know significantly less in some cases to have them grow into that role. Which fits great for a lot of businesses, but or I find people who want to scale, owners who want to scale faster or solve specific problems, a fractional or part-time role with an experienced um, executive or operator is a, in many cases a better fit. I have a, I call myself a fractional CRO is because I, as a startup CEO, have built sales programs, teams, and revenue from the ground up. So for my, that $5 million, $10 million company, I really know how to implement an effective sales program and get really right down to the brass tacks quickly. Um, I really like the, really like revenue operations or rev ops um, applied to small business. It originally came from enterprise, but I think it can be applied really well, even better at small business where you don't have the luxury of being a you know, BP sales, BP marketing, BP customer service, like one guy who has to do it all. If you're thinking of that kind of bank bucket of all of this is connected, um, I find it's an awesome, awesome way to think for small business. You know, a CRO can can mean anything for like an enterprise company is running teams of a thousand. Um, for a small company, I just think about the, the, the middle letter there is R, revenue. What are we bringing in? And how much does it cost? And how how can we mitigate the cost to bring in more revenue? I think a lot of technical entrepreneurs don't realize that if you want to do a million in sales, we want to do ten million in sales. You know, it's going to cost you between ten and twenty percent of that revenue just to bring the leads in. So they're like, yeah, I have you know a couple hundred grand to develop this whole company, but I want to do ten million in sales this year. It's like, hey, you're going to need about ten times. And so where do you get that cash? And that's something that I find and why I label myself CRO is a VP sales, sales manager, whatever, doesn't think like that. And that's where that real strategic portion comes in for any fractional like C-level or fractional executive level. You have to think five steps ahead, 10 steps ahead, whatever it is, right? You have to think strategic in order to really support the founder or business owner that you're working with, which is ultimately what we're trying to do is See an entrepreneur, help them grow while making as many mistakes as like as I had to make because I didn't have that fractional person <laughs> when I was developing companies that some worked, some didn't, right? Right. I mean, the fractional nature of, if 
founders having multiple functional roles and then having the ability to hire a fractional executive is really why this podcast is named what it is and is really why we started the podcast to help uh, small business owners, family business owners, established founders, how to get off that next no growth plateau. And so in order for us to grow the show, to help you grow your business and have great guests on here like Dylan, again, share the podcast, like and subscribe, follow us, leave a five-star review and interact with us, drop comments below. And again, what that helps us do is grow the podcast, get great guests on here like Dylan, and that then helps you grow your business. So Dylan, what were some of the most difficult things you had to master to develop into that strategic executive from your functional operations leadership role? I, yeah, the, the, the best lesson I've learned is actually failure. So I had a company, Coast Protein, that ultimately just ran out of cash. And the reason it ran out of cash was I did not fully understand product market fit. And we had product market fit at a niche level. And then we took on capital to expand into mass, both on e-com and in retail. This is a, a sustainable protein company. That blew us apart. With our car, cost of acquisition going from niche to mass, uh, I don't remember the details, but it's essentially like 8x that, that acquisition cost. So we burned through all our capital in about eight months. And then... You know, we're at a pivot point with no money and ultimately just had to close the business, unfortunately. Um, what I took from that is, and I think what any good fractional uh, leader will take from that is get product market fit sorted for cheap and then scale. Don't scale over it, trying to figure, like ex expecting it to come. And when I say it and product market fit, expecting it to come by throwing buckets of money at it because it just, it won't happen. And I see it time and time again that I've seen it. I work a lot with trades companies, trade services. So you think product market fit is really like already established 500 years ago, but it's not. Um, and I've worked with SaaS. I mean, they're, that's only product market fit until you run out of cash. That's like the whole game at SaaS. So it, it's something that I focus on heavily. Um, there's so many great tools now that like you can figure out your USP and you figure out your offer and, and marketing. But really if that, if the niche isn't there and then you can't expand that niche profitably it it may be a great idea and it one thing i really push a lot of founders towards and clients i work with is it may be a great idea as a lifestyle business and maybe that's where you want to stay but a lot of people don't understand that. like you sometimes you just can't grow this bigger than a lifestyle business just because of nothing you've done wrong and so that's something that we work with founders a lot on um and we're very careful when we do our, our discovery and onboarding of those clients to make sure that we're not you know overcharging, we're not building up too much of expectation before we really understand their that's so that's so I really am passionate about um if you can be passionate about product project fit, but <laughs> as much as I, I am, it's it's really for the protection of the those owners and the businesses ultimately. Yeah, I think I think you talking about product market fit might have answered what I want to ask you next, which is kind of flipping this. But what can today's established founders and family enterprise owners learn from startup founders? I think you kind of gave me that answer. But if there's something else that you think is really important. Oh, you know what? The thing I've seen 
with an established company that they typically do wrong is they forget all the lessons that they learned being scrappy and lean. And they'll you know, bring on a new department or acquire a company, go into a new area, and they'll but they'll apply all the same uh, you know, logic systems that they have at established. And it'll fail, right? They'll buy a company, everyone will leave, they'll launch a new product, it won't work because they'll just throw money at it. And I think uh, so there's an aspect, of course, of product market fit there, but it, it's more, you you know, like you can't just turn on that business unit as the exact same as the already existing company. And I think the best lesson or place to learn that lesson is look at Google. I know it's, you know, put as far away from startup as you can possibly get, but they'll, they'll create a business unit that'll make a turn on or turnkey like a hundred to two hundred million dollars a year, and they'll burn it after three years because it's not making a billion dollars. You know, and it's like they'll 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 lose that money knowing they're they're not sure if it's going to work at scale. So I think if I think that's a great lesson, and I, I do try to think about that a lot. Is if Google will commit half a billion dollars to something they're not entirely sure is going to work to grow your business in new business areas or business units is like, you, you have to understand that it pr- probably won't work the way you envision. doesn't mean it won't work for sure, but it probably means that the, the original vision needs tweaking and that you're going to lose money for a little while. Hopefully not too long. You shouldn't burn too much cash or jeopardize the overall business, but it's, it's very real. It's very real. I think a lot of, you know, you've been doing your business. I see this in trades again, a lot. If you've been doing your business 10 to 15 years, you're a great HVAC uh, entrepreneur and you're like, you know, I think we can, we can buy an electrical company and it just wipes out in like the first year. And it's because that time and care and like, you know, building the customers and understanding what the market wasn't done. And it's, it's really, it's really simple, but I mean, it's simple to say complex in, in, in execution. Sure. I mean, you know, using Google as an example, if we can kind of keep going with that, what I, what I wanted to ask you next was, you know, why should established founders and family business owners consider working with startup founders? You know, I've seen a lot of larger companies say they want to work with startups, but they really struggle to do that. But why should they try anyway? So when you mean, uh, or so when you say work with startups from like a family or established company, do you mean as like a purchasing the company or a vendor or just any little clarity there? So it could it it it, it could be all it could be all of those and and more. Oh man, how much time do we have? Uh, startups are tough. Like, what's the failure rate of startups? I, I don't don't even know anymore. It's probably what fifty percent at least, if not more. At least. So I think that's if you're an established business owner, I would consider myself mid career. At business owner. Um, but if you're a late career, 55, 65 years old, you've been running your business for 20, 30 years or, or more, or if you're like into that new business, you've seen startups come and go, promise the world, and then disappear in the next year for three decades. That's really hard to buy the word of, of any startup founder. But I think in that position, you have to keep an open mind. Like you have to continually, and if you see an opportunity that aligns, I think I'm kind of getting to the point I want to make is 
if your vendor or your you know your potential partner or someone's just coming to pitch you as a startup, you have to have that alignment on what are you trying to make your business into? What's your transformational goal or alignment? And does the person, so the startup owner, um, both personally align with that transformational vision and as their business? I would, I think, and from experience, that if those things can work together, you have a much better chance than not of succeeding in whatever the relationship you're trying to build. Where I've seen it fail miserably time and time again is where someone comes and promises, like, "Hey, you know, if you saw this over the last couple of years, especially being Canadian with legal weed, is like, hey, you know what's going to make everyone billionaires? Weed. Nope. Hey, you know what's going to make everyone billionaires? <laughs> Crypto. Nope." NFTs, nope. It's going to happen with AI, right? I already use a bunch of AI tools. They work great, but there's already tens of thousands of them. 90% won't exist in a couple of years. And I, I really think that's where that owner of the established organization needs to say, if then we implement this in our business, am I going to have to pay this guy a lot more than I think so it sticks around? And, and that's only, if that aligns again, then go for it. If not, probably better to leave it alone. I, I appreciate that, Dylan. Um, you know, I'd, I'd be remiss in asking you some clean tech questions since, since you're on the podcast and that's where your, uh, a lot of your work ends up being an expertise. So, you know, what should established founders and family enterprise owners be aware of just in clean tech in general? Oh man, clean tech, the clean tech has had some hard years. They got the the industry, uh, man, was it 2015? No, maybe it's 2018. They got cleaned out. Most of the investment money got cleaned out. Um, the pro my personal, and I'll get a lot of flack for this, but I'm okay with it. Um, my personal belief is clean tech has too many, uh, scientists running the companies. It's the same problem. It's funny. It's like very similar to the trades problem is if you look at big trades companies, a really successful one, there's not tradesmen right. It might've been at one point, but it's business people. Uh, I see that in clean tech constantly. Scientists, engineers, a lot of them shut down the idea of having a business partner who knows how to build a business as a skill set that's maybe soft, but it's a very, it's a much different skill set. Totally biased. You know, my business is building businesses. So obviously I got a bias, but I've seen it time and time again. I'll sit down as a, a, just as an EIR with a clean tech company who's run by a chemical specialist or chemical engineer or something, a chemist. And I'm like, you just need to get out and sell this to five people. If you can sell this to five people, you'll be able to attract enough investment to grow to the next stage. And they're like, no, product's not ready. You know, uh, branding's not ready. Like, no, you just need to sell whatever it is to five people. And then the next time I hear about them, out there, the business is done. That's just over and over and over again. Um, Foresight and other accelerators, um, Breakthrough Energy, that's the, the VC fund um, that was originally founded by Bill Gates. I don't know if he's in, how much he's involved anymore. Are trying to resolve that, but it it's, it's tough, right? Like that's, Clean tech is not a sexy place to invest because everything takes 10, 15 years to go to market. And it's all mostly infrastructural, right? So it's, if you're going to build a brand new nuclear plant, it's not going to return investment to an investor 
for 25 years. It's it's our capital investment cycle is like three years now. It's ridiculous. Um, which I think and I hope is actually changing because the last 10 years of like what SoftBank has done, lost $50 billion investing in crappy tech companies at unicorn rates. I kind of see it being over for a little while. And so I hope some of that capital goes into clean tech. I'm totally ranting right now. I'm very passionate about clean tech and I'm, I am very annoyed by it commonly. <laughs> well, I had you on and I had to ask you about it and you know, yeah, sure. thank you. Yeah. I mean, you're an expert in it, so don't apologize for what you said. We, you know, I'm, I'm asking for your take. Um, but listen, Dylan, it's been great having you on the podcast. I want to give you some time to uh, let our listeners and viewers know how they can get a hold of you and then just talk about some of the projects that you're working on. Sure. Yeah. The best way to get a hold of me is uh, I, I post a lot on LinkedIn. Um, I've been using that platform pretty regularly for seven months or something like that. Um, so you can I, you can get me on there. I, I think you guys will include that in my link in some something like that. So you can check it out in the show notes. Um you may email me at Dylan at ProfitLaunchPad.com, D-Y-L-A-N, uh, and check out our website, ProfitLaunchPad.com. If you guys are familiar with a marketing agency, we are an operational agency. So we act as a specialist team of business professionals, integrators, and operators who come and build your business for you. Um, we, again, we work with all sorts of technical entrepreneurs who are experts in the field, and we don't want to replace what they do best. But we firmly believe that what we do and how we build a business is, is we'll skip them ahead a decade. And that's what we focus on is getting businesses, skipping the chasm and getting them to market faster. Uh, projects we're working on. I'm mostly only working on project, uh, sorry, profit launchpad right now. Um, I'm also the managing partner of a small uh, acquisition company. We buy boring, super boring businesses like RV parks. Um, campsites, HV, HVAC companies, uh, real brick and mortar traditional stuff, like super unexciting. It's really fun. Um, and we're, we're doing that just as a differentiation from being internet entrepreneurs, um, trying to get a little bit of our, like figure, not figuratively and literally getting our hands in the dirt. <laughs> Dylan, again, thanks so much for being on. Uh, I've really appreciated having you. Um, and again, for our listeners and viewers, we want to help you grow your business. It's on that terrible no growth plateau right now that you're going to be on throughout the uh, life cycle of your business every once in a while. Having Dylan on here will help. And to get great guests on here like Dylan, please like and subscribe, follow the podcast, leave us a five-star review and share the podcast. In addition, leave us comments and feedback and feel free to contact the show. Dylan, thanks again for being on. Thanks, Shabby, Ryan. It was a lot of fun. This is the Fractional Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Kauth, and you can get a hold of me at ryankauth.coach. The Fractional Executive Podcast is produced by Influencer.tv. The great team of Mark Livingston, Brian Allen, Anna Marino, and Chris Drees. Yeah.